Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. First, thank you, sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Sunkins and Scott Auctions, Upper Deck, Panini, and Tops. Today's episode is the second half of my conversation with Greg Morris. I had a positive experience for a friend of mine. These were vintage cards that were ungraded and probably at the level where with current grading prices, it made more sense to sell them raw. And I thought Greg would be an excellent choice. It turned out well. I was pleased. My friend was pleased. There are other choices out there, but he was a good choice for this situation. So I wanted to find out a little bit more about his business. And so after the smoke cleared and everything had been resolved, we talked about not really that as much as just his business and some of the things he does in the hobby and compared notes of both of us being around for a while. So here's the rest of the conversation with Greg. Thanks, Greg, for your candor. And thanks, listeners, for listening in. Some people you just can't help. Okay, I understand it's a big thing to send your cards out for consignment for somebody you don't know, but we've seen lots of examples where people just don't make optimal decisions for themselves. And I used to get upset. I'd be like, why did they do that? Like, we're here to make money. We're not a charity. But it's like giving it to an auction house, then I go and buy it and make 40%. You would have made more just giving it straight to me. But those are the choices that people make. But it does. Yeah, it happens all the time that people want too much. And we try to offer consignment as an alternative. Consignment is always a little bit more tricky for us. It's always better to buy, not always cash flow wise, but customer service wise, a lot of consigners can be very challenging. Most of them are good and we work great together, but some just, they need their handheld. It's difficult and takes up a lot of our resources, but all we're trying to do is make people money. That's the only thing at the end of the day that we want to do. Well, I did a podcast about anytime you're the boss of anything, one of the big dilemmas that you have is who do you trust? And in your business, my businesses over the years, if you're not trusted, but my thought is in your business and what you're doing, the trust meter of some of the people in the hobby is messed up. They would rather trust a friend of a friend that has no feedback to speak of on eBay, as opposed to Greg Morris, who has 100,000 feedback, satisfied customers whom they've never met but has all satisfied customers and is in the business of doing this. And yet they'll trust a friend of a friend because told a good story. And I'm just wondering, even if you don't know somebody over some period of time, you build up a reputation as you have. I can only speak for what I've done, but when I was the main contact with consigners, when I sensed that somebody was really like, just not trusting us, it's then, you know what, if you're not comfortable then it's no problem because they have to look at it and say, yes, this is what I want to do. If I have to try to sell them on it, you just know it's going to be a problem. (laughs) But I'm just saying, are you able to then flip the script and say, oh, so you're not happy with that, uh, letting us consign it. How about we just buy it and we'd offer you this much and then it's our problem, not yours. And you'll correct. And that that, that doesn't happen a lot, but it happens. I always think in the back of my mind, listen, if you would just let us, if I have to, buy it, my risk goes up. So if my risk goes up, the amount of money that I can pay you, it's not that I'm trying to rip them off, but I have to base my decisions on my level of risk. But if that's what they want to do, then, you know, we're there for them. That's their choice. 
Greg, if they did the math, and again, you should not be disclosing how many cards you can create in an hour because it'll just explode some people's minds. But they really need to think, like you said, of the PSA or the BGS metric where they're grading hundreds of cards a day, not thousands of cards or a thousand an hour, whatever you said. Grading is difficult. It takes time. And the only reason you're able to go really fast is because you've done so much. You've seen it over. And the best graders can go faster as well. But it just seems if they really did that math and said, look, Greg is going to take my card. He's going to list it on eBay using his feedback and his system, his followers, people, all the eyes of eBay, plus the eyes that really are always looking at your auctions. And he's providing this grading service, which is not trivial. It's really the distinctive of your process is that you're standing behind your grading in the same way that the slabbing grading companies do. You're facing it and they're saying, this is what we say it is and we stand behind it. You're doing the same thing. I guess it's money back guarantee, which like you said, if you're doing a great job, the guarantee is part of your marketing, but it shouldn't be a big expense because you're doing a good job. Yep. Grading a card is different than grading a scan. And so I'm just wondering if you're buying cards from one of the auction houses, I don't know that you would have somebody go there and check them out, but a lot of times you can get scans or photos or somebody sends you some iPhone photos of their cards and just says, hey, here's what I got. Can you could sign these for me or will you buy them? Would you need to see the cards or would you be comfortable with getting an impression based on the scans or the photos? We just get an impression from the scans and the photos. At this point, when I'm buying for the auction houses, like I know how they grade. For the most part, I'm not even looking at the scans. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. Most of it is just cutting my time. The only time you can get in trouble with buying from images is that if somebody has some bad intentions. I know because if somebody has hoarded a lot of cards that have real nice eye appeal, but have hidden flaws, or are altered, and then they aggregate them and then try to dump them, you can get burned there. It's happened, but it's rare. I've said when I'm going through dollar box cards, which I have a kind of a hobby within the hobby of doing that, you go maybe less than half as fast if you're looking at the front and the back. And in most cards, vintage especially, when there's less back variations and things like that, you get a pretty good idea of the condition and you know what it is just from looking at the front of the card. Occasionally, you got to flip one over. But if you flipped every card over, Greg, to check every micro problem on the back, you really couldn't build up a lot of speed. The graders have to do that. But eye appeal is not based on a blemish on the back. Do we have to cut corners? Yeah, we have to cut corners. And the back is something that we can miss. But again, I have to make a decision. The amount of times that something on the back will really harm the condition of the card is actually very low. It'll harm the condition in the technical grade. The technical, exactly. Necessarily the presentation value of the... Correct. I think the hobby's moving more and more into that. Yeah. Again, do we miss stuff on the backs? Yes, but it's still a fairly rare occurrence. Usually the concerns that, at least when I was doing it, is there'd be wax on the back. I can feel it, right? As I'm going and I'm holding the card, I can feel the wax. Sometimes I could even feel like a wrinkle. One out of 10 cards from the 60s or 70s and 80s anyway, because of the wax packs. So they started making foil packs. Yeah, but I can feel it immediately. 
that's a way that I allow myself to go more quickly. Here's another marketing thing that I don't know if you do, but it probably would be okay if you did it. I don't think people are ready for the graders to do it, but that is that if somebody sends you a card for consignment and you're going to put it up there and it's a really nice looking card, but it's got a little glob of wax on the front or the back that you can easily microfiber remove without taking anything away from the card. It's just wiping off the wax, like wiping off a fingerprint. If yeah, on the front there, it gets a bad grade. If the wax is off, it gets a good grade. Are you providing yeah, we, that? Are you kind of cleaning we, it up we, a tiny bit? When it's wax on the front, wax on the back, I'm sure there's people who know how to remove it, but wax on the front is such an easy thing to remove. We used to do it ourselves. The problem is the girls who work for me doing the processing started getting like carpal tunnel. So I don't say we ignore it, but most people know that it just comes right off. So I don't really see that. That's my opinion. Some people may disagree, but back is different. Back is different. In fact, the correct front of the older cards, you can easily wipe off the wax. You'll never know it was even there. Yeah, the correct. Back, if you take, if you try to rub off the wax, you may have rubbed it in. And yeah, because there's no gloss there's on the no, back. There's no finish. Absorbed into the, it's absorbed. So, you know, some things like 51 Bowman, for example, if it's just a little bit of a wax, because so many of the cards have it, because I think it was because so many of them came in penny packs. I'm saying you caught my thought. It's penny packs all in the same place. It's not random. It's where the seal was. It's in the upper one third of the card on the back. Yeah. If it's real small, like we might still go eight. If the card looks like an eight, we're much more likely to go seven than we would like on a 1971 card, which has got a lot of wax on the back. We shouldn't be calling it at best. It should be XX mint. One of the things that is an interesting grading issue that comes up a lot for us now is so many people in the eighties and nineties put their star cards in those thick glass plastic holders. And what you get is when you take them out, it's like the gloss on the corners. I hear you. No, yeah. But what happens is PSA, I think maybe five, six years ago, started calling those cards altered stock. And it's hard for us because SGC doesn't do it. Beckett doesn't do it. And I just don't think they're right. That was unintentional. It's just a condition issue like anything else versus somebody who tried to rub out a crease and they pressed that's altered stock. It's just interesting because it comes up a lot, that particular issue, because so many cards were stored that way. It's a screw down that is screwed extra tight. Correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah. seems, wow. It's a, yeah, really secure. But then you leave it in there for a decade and then try to unscrew it. And I've lost some cards from that. Yeah. Yeah. No, not cards that I did that to, because I hate those bulletproof, extra thick lucites. Yeah, I got a collection from somebody, a distant relative said, can you help me sell these cards? And they were all in these huge screw downs. And I said, you will get more. He said, can you take them to the local show? And I said, I'm not going to take them in these. Number one, I've got about 50 pounds worth of these lucites. I said, I'm going to unscrew them and make sure because people will not pay full price because they're worried about that transfer. Moisture or anything could just, and I agree with you on PSA. I would hope BGS would treat that as surface damage, yeah. not some intentional alteration, but stuff happens. But yeah, when yeah. I removed the lucite from them, pretty much all of them were okay. Yeah, yeah, I think there have to be other conditions, or not that you have to spill orange juice on it or anything, but I lost a really good Clemente card. Not lost, but it's now slabbed authentic. Yeah. 
really upsetting. It's a very rare card that has foil treatment on it. You've got a lot of experience. It's interesting to me. And I don't do exactly what you do. In fact, I'm retired, but I'm more of an opportunistic buyer. And yeah. I have eBay strategies and ComC strategies and card show strategies. And But my goal, Greg, is the opposite of yours. And that's you want to have more and better employees. I want to have less, fewer, and no employees. I want to be yeah. unemployable and a non-employer. Yes. I've been there and done I, that. I, I love that season of my life. I'm retired now. Yeah. But you're out in Texas? I'm in Dallas, yeah. Okay. Can you come to the National? Yeah, I'll be at the National. I'll yeah. see you at the National. Didn't you have a partner when you first started? Well, De- De- Denny Eckes, when I did the books. Yeah. The first yeah. few books I did with Denny Eckes, who was a show dealer and a supplies dealer, buddies with Larry Fritch back in the day. This was in the late 70s and early 80s. Yeah. He was a wonderful business partner. He really helped. He basically said, I'll do all the stuff that's required. Just you do stuff you want. I'll do everything else. And it was great. It was yeah, wonderful. that's a good partnership. Everybody else wanted to say, hey, why don't you do it? And I'll share the profits with you. The man in the 